What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan. With me is Jared. How's it going, Jared? It is going well, Jordan. Thank you. And today's a very special episode because we have someone else with us today. We have David Fitzgerald, who is author of several books, uh, Nailed, Jesus, Smithing in Action, which that title, I, w- I don't necessarily agree with everything in the book, but the title is <laughs> excellent. Spot on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about Jesus mythicism and uh, why David thinks what he thinks and why we think what we think and what common ground we can have. So David, why don't you start by introducing yourself for the audience so people know who they're talking to. Sure. Well, first of all, yeah, thanks for having me on board. Um, yeah, my name is David Fitzgerald. In, in the circles that I'm famous at all, it's for writing books like Nailed and Jesus Mything in Action that argue that Jesus didn't exist historically at all. And right out of the gate, I should say, 22 years ago, before I got onto this kick, it never even crossed my mind to doubt that there was a Jesus, because why wouldn't there be? Um, And there's nothing intrinsically implausible about there being a real guy named Jesus. Um, It just so happens that the closer we look at the evidence, the less I find, the more I'm convinced by the others who also agree that, that this is problematic, this is problematic and that there probably was no Jesus at all. And I like what Robert Price has to say, too, is that um, for all intents and purposes, everything we think we know about this guy, Jesus, was written much later by non-eyewitnesses who knew nothing about an actual person. So for all intents and purposes, even if there was a real Jesus, there isn't one anymore because we don't have anything that talks about that guy. One thing we can all agree on, and there's a lot of problematic things with uh, Christianity and the origins and, and what we have now. So, um. For sure. And the book I'm working on now, I'm finding the exact same thing with Judaism and, in fact, every other major world religion around. Yeah. So uh, I assume, you have you always been an atheist? Did you start out religious? Yeah, I did. I started out Southern Baptist, the one true faith. And uh, preach it. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. until I was in college that I deconverted, and uh, um, and I'd been an atheist, con- perfectly content atheist for sixteen years before I ever thought to even look into um, the Jesus historicity thing. And the ironic part about that is, it wasn't that I was looking to see if there was a Jesus or not. I was just realizing that the Gospels that we have are written about four very different guys, and I wanted to know, well, you know, which one is telling us the truth and which one's not. How do we parse out the real Jesus from the legendary accretion that came later? And hence yes. my trouble began. Yeah. So that was the main like precipice where you got there and you're like, I have to dig into this a little bit deeper. Yeah. And, it's, and again, I wasn't trying to debunk Jesus. I was just trying to figure out what the real Jesus was that we yeah. have, if there was one to be found. Um, and, well, like, uh, like we mentioned in the in backstage, um, we wanted to start by kind of establishing the common ground because, like, for both of us, I don't think it, it matters too much. I mean, it's a historically interesting question, and it has, yeah. I think, some bearing on how we comport ourselves as skeptics and how we examine evidence. But, like, right. ultimately, if Jesus existed or didn't exist, I'm still an atheist either way, you know? Exactly. It's not like Christianity is going to start making sense if it turned out there was a real guy named Jesus. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, right. Yeah. So uh, I think it's a it's a good point that the it's kind of funny because when I have these conversations with mythicists, I'm almost making the same points just in reverse as the ones I'm, when I'm talking to Christians. You know, I'm trying to like, <laughs> you know, 
Jesus wasn't, you know, a miracle working son of God. The gospels are like decades after the fact that, right. you know, you know, same sort of points are right. made on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's funny. The gospels are nothing but myths about Jesus. The question is, is it myths all the way down or is it not? And I think what his, the debate, but one of the things that drives me crazy about the debate between historicists and mythicists, as we act as if the other side is the enemy and it's like, no, no, we're just at best. We have disagreements on this or that historical point. And uh, especially when uh, people try to paint mythicists as being these pariahs out on the fringe that are way out here. It's like, well, no, when, when it comes to the synoptic problem, when it comes to mark and priority, all these things that are well-established in general about Jesus studies, we're totally on board with that. It's just, we take our conclusions just a little bit further than some are comfortable with. Well, that was one thing I was going to ask you is uh, when you first started looking into like the idea of whether or not Jesus was a real person or not, um, one of the things when I first, and this is like, pre-carrier, pre-price, you know, before I even knew who Bob Price was. So there is a, a, a faction of mythicists out there who I would consider maybe not as um, intellectually um, enabled, uh, where they have <laughs> they have some pretty out there theories and stuff, right? And so I think maybe that gives some bad name to mythicists too, Absolutely. Right? And, and, and that's something like, if you notice Richard Carrier and myself and others, we go after that as much as anything else. We go yeah. on the historicist side, especially the Roman provenance idea that Flavius Josephus just invented it all, or it was a social control by the Romans. It's like, yeah. there's so many things you have to ignore to make that theory work. And that's not even the craziest theories I've heard. Jesus yeah, so just like, yeah, just like you can be an atheist for a bad reason, you can also be a mythicist for a bad reason. Sure, <laughs> yeah. sure, yeah. And. Uh, another thing, too, is that there's sometimes this dichotomy painted where it's like either you believe that Jesus was a miracle working son of God who like right. was raising the dead and doing all these things or right. he didn't exist. And, right. like, you know, there there's, can be there's plenty of middle ground for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's just put that out. In fact, that was one of the criticisms of nailed was I just kept pointing out. These are why the top 10 ways that the, the official story of Jesus, as we get from Christianity, doesn't work. And people are saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that guy didn't exist, but there was a real guy named Jesus. And that's what made me write Jesus Mything in Action uh, yeah. later. When I didn't realize when I was originally going through Nailed that it was intended to debunk like just the traditional Jesus, not like the apocalyptic prophets form of Jesus. But, and it wasn't yeah. until I got to the very end. I was like, oh, this book wasn't even for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wrote it in my mind. I was debunking the apocalyptic prophet, but. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. It, Mything in Action does a much better job of laying out what I, where I think Jesus really came from and the things that led to him. So, uh, good segue into the actual argument, the, now that we've like puffed each other up and talked about how nice everybody is, now we can talk about why the other person's wrong. So, uh, yeah. uh what do you think in, in, uh, having interacted with historicists, what do you think? is in your opinion the best evidence for your position what do you think is the best evidence against it if you had to like pick sort right. of one from each category well let's let's start with the second one i think the 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 consistent thing that historicists throw at us is a no one no one in jesus studies agrees with you which is not quite in, true um that um uh, they'll they'll point to like a single verse or two in like paul's letters that happens a lot well paul says Jesus was born of a woman. And Paul says, you know, he met James, a brother of the Lord. And 
when you look at the context that all these little, and there's not that many of them, to be honest, but when you look at the context of what he's talking about, usually it's a very weird symbolic context, or he's saying something in a very strange way. It's like, why would he say it that way? Um, for instance, why would anybody say so-and-so was born of a woman? You know, you wouldn't say that about Abraham Lincoln. You'd say that about a demigod, you know? Um, so that, that's a weird thing anyway, even if you ignore the whole context of that talk where it's, it's all symbolic in any way. And he doesn't actually use the word born. He uses the word made. Um, it's so, made in the shape of a human. Yeah. And you think that's and and that's the best evidence against it? I mean, I mean, I, I'll leave it to the historicists, but those are the ones. Those are the ones that seem to get tossed at me the most. Is uh, okay. And yeah, what's your favorite piece of evidence for Jesus' mythicism? If you have to throw one at a, <sighs> you know, this is this is why I don't like. I don't like debating Jesus' mythicism. Period. Um, <laughs> I don't like doing it with Christians because I don't even like arguing it with Christians because it's such a conversation killer. A deal, you know. It's the end of that. I would rather just leave it with atheists who don't have a dog in the hunt like me. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, sorry, what was what was the question? Was, what, was what's, the your, what's, your, oh. what's your favorite piece of evidence uh, against historicity? Against historicity. Well, I wrote at the end of Nailed, there's sort of this paradox um, that at the end of the day, either Jesus taught all these amazing things or at least, you know, did, if he didn't do these miracles, he at least taught these amazing things. And yet, no one outside his cult seems to know anything about him. And we don't hear anything about his cult for about the better part of 100 years or so. Or, um, he um, didn't do all these things. And yet, as soon as he's dead, we've got scattered house cults all over, not just Judea, not just Galilee but all over the Roman empire. And yet they can't seem to agree on the first thing about who he was and what he did and what his life was like. Um, that's, that was the thing I said nailed. But I think for me, the biggest thing is that Christianity before the gospel of Mark is written feels very different than after the gospel of Mark is written. And all our four biographies that we have, the four gospels are all based off of Mark and Mark seems to be completely allegorical from start to finish. And the way Christians talk about Jesus before Mark writes that, and the way that Christians talk about Jesus after Mark writes that are very different. So uh, I think that's pointing to like the development of Christianity as a religion in the first century, which, I mean, even if Jesus did exist, you know, yeah. the, the usual... Uh, story for if anybody's listening, this has no idea what this whole debate is about. Uh, the, the typical view of Jesus given by uh, historians in the field is that Jesus was an apocalyptic prophet, like other apocalyptic prophets of the first yeah. century, who believed that the world was going to end like right now, very, very soon in his lifetime. Yeah. And his apocalyptic message got ran afoul, caused him to run afoul of the Romans, who then did what Romans do, nailed him to a tree or a cross, yeah. and you know, killed him. Um, and so uh, I think that sort of story, first of all, for answering kind of my own questions back to you, uh, yeah. to start with, it just seems <clears throat> completely mundane as, as a, as a, as a story, like the idea that there was a Jewish preacher named Jesus, common name who yeah. preached an apocalyptic message, which was common at the time and ran afoul of the Romans, which yeah. 
happened all the time. Like it seems like yeah. just such a, a small claim to make, you know? Um, right. And, and so it, it doesn't seem like it would take a lot of evidence to push me over the edge that like this claim is in fact true. Sure. And again, there's nothing implausible about any of that until you actually look at what the story is saying. And for instance, the story of, and, and Bart Ehrman has pointed this out too, is like, we've got all these other different competing secular versions of what Jesus must have really been like. And they all sound plausible until you get to the next one. And then that one sounds plausible. And they all kind of pick and choose their constellation of elements that they focus on. But they're all found in the gospel. And there's all these uh, different competing ones. And Bart Aaron points out that one problem with all of them, including his own, uh, is that none of them explain why the Romans would want to kill this guy, Jesus. And in fact, the gospels don't do a good job of why the Romans would kill Jesus. Part of the problem with his, his story, even even not just the passion and narrative and the execution, but all the mundane things in his story from start to finish, um, they don't hold up historically or logically. And, um, and for instance, what you were just saying about he ran afoul of the Roman authorities. Well, nothing he did was against Roman law. It was against Jewish law. And nothing he said was actually considered blasphemy. It wasn't blasphemous to call yourself the Messiah. Well, um, that, that if is they true. Had some, if they had some problem with... I'm sorry? Sorry, no. I was just saying that that is true, and it's something that's commonly yeah. thrown by... Uh, it's implied in some of the Gospels that what he was saying was blasphemous. That's because they're right. looking back as Christians, saying right, that exactly. Jesus was claiming to be God, when in fact he wasn't. He was claiming to be it's, the Messiah, which is not blasphemous. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and there's all these problems just historically with the way Mark tells the story of his trial. For instance, he's got the high priest acting as a prosecuting attorney uh, in there. That's that's wrong for multiple reasons, not least of which is Jewish trials didn't have prosecuting attorneys. Um, and again, what he was saying was not blasphemy. And if it was blasphemy, if he did something that had pissed them off so much they were going to kill him, they would have just taken him out and stoned him, like Mosaic law declared. Um, they had the authority to do that. They did it all time. It wouldn't be wanna, weird for them to do that. Can I push back a little bit though? On, yeah. Um, so you said that Jesus, like there, there's no reason why the Romans would care about what he was preaching, right? Because it would, if he was preaching blasphemy, what do they care? That's Jewish stuff, right? Right. But and, let's if, say, and let's say they were mad at him for calling himself the king of the Jews, which apparently he didn't. Well, if Jesus that. though was preaching an apocalyptic <clears throat> message, the, uh, the the idea of apocalypticism in the first century was that there'd be a reversal of fortunes. Those who are in power now would be overthrown right. and a right. new kingdom would come. Well, you can't have a new kingdom if the old, unless the old kingdom's gone. Right. We kind of like the old kingdom because it's our kingdom, you know? Right. So wouldn't that in and of itself be enough for the Romans to get? And if, if all he was doing was rabble rousing and causing trouble, like, wouldn't that be enough to get him? But killed? if that was the case, then why bring the Jews into it at all? Why, why are the Romans scratching their head at this guy jesus why get this whole false narrative of Pilate giving their the crowd the choice of barabbas or jesus none of that is historical none of that makes any kind of sense and another thing about the what we know about apocalyptic failures of prophets in the first century there were lots of them and yet every single one of them did something that jesus didn't do and that was make a dent in the contemporary record um 
even the ones that just all they did was just go out and get themselves killed by the Romans. And yet Jesus, if you believe anything in the Gospels about, oh, his fame spread to the Decapolis and to Syria and, and parts abroad and, and the whole town of Jerusalem uh, hails him as the king. It's like there's all these inflated, unhistorical embellishments. Um, it's like, well, A, if any of this was remotely true, it couldn't have been true uh, for multiple reasons. But if it wasn't true, then what was this guy? He was just well, one more failed apocalyptic prophet? Isn't that, though, the, the first part when you're talking about the embellishments of the trial? I agree that the, the way the trials are written in the Gospels is implausible. First of all, how do yeah. they know what Pilate said? They weren't there. But right. Pilate wasn't giving right. interviews, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm not, but, yeah, I'm not even counting that sort yeah. of story but, logic. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, that t tells you that the Gospels are not just complete sobered retellings of history, which I, nobody right. Nobody sure. serious things sure. anyway. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that, like, the story as it exists of an apocalyptic prophet running afoul of the Jews, that, do, or sorry, running afoul of the Romans, that does right. explain right. the record. Now, in terms of, like, him making an impact, uh, that really depends on what you think about Josephus, which we talked about the last oh, time we interacted. We can uh, talk about Josephus. We, we sure. don't necessarily yeah. need to go in, but I do want to bring in, because the audience had a question. Uh, yeah, that but let's come back to Josephus as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, David of Oakland asks uh, you about the Hitchens observation of Jesus that the uh, uh, the birth the, the birth narrative shows that Naz he was actually born in Nazareth because they had to try so hard to get him to be from Bethlehem. Right. And so I know you deal with this in Mything in Action. I do, and I love Hitchens, um, but he answers his own question basically, um, and it's that Mark and Luke, sorry, uh, Matthew and Luke, they're following Mark. So whatever he put down in that first gospel, they're either going along in lockstep with or they're explaining away in some way. And my, Matthew had his reasons that he thought the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Um, Mark had his reasons um, to not say that. We, we, we think that Mark called Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, but I've got a whole chapter um, in Nailed, and sorry, in, in Mything in Action, where it talks about he never actually calls him Jesus of Nazareth, he calls him a sect title, Jesus the Nazarene, um, or the Nazorian. Um, and there's very little in Mark's gospel that it ties him to Nazareth as a birthplace to begin with. Um, that's all just our reimagining of, uh, of the word in, in English translations. But couldn't the Nazarene mean from Nazareth? No, there's a different word for that. Um, there's a word for somebody from Nazareth, and there's a word for a Nazarite or someone who takes a Nazarite vow. They're very similar words, so it's easy to see why they'd get conflated, but they don't mean the same thing. But it doesn't seem like they're, they're exclusive. Like G Mark no, 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 no. They are exclusive. This is what, exactly what I'm saying. He, uh, and when we look at the, at the Aramaic that in, in Mark, he's not saying that Jesus was from Nazareth, or at least in, in very few parts uh, can be, it can be implied that. So that would be a position that you'd be taking in opposition to the general scholarship on the, the wording and mark. Well, it's the it's the general scholarship that when when you see when you say I'm disagreeing with the scholarship, everything I say in this comes from scholarship on one side or another. And in fact, I try to go out of my way to use Christian scholarship or Jewish scholarship as much as possible, just so people don't say, "Oh, well, this is just atheists who say that." Now the Nazorian, though that that the one that that's the title that Matthew uses, and that is the one that I think uh, is more disputed in terms of like 
is it a play on words? Is it referring to some sect? Like, why does he use this term? Because he uses it when he copies Mark, but changes Nazarene to Nazorian. And right. The question is, why did Matthew do that? And and I, I would advise you to look up uh, James McGrath's um, work on this. James McGrath is not my favorite dude at all. He's a Christian, and he really hates mythicism and, and atheism in general. <laughs> but he did an amazing job on parsing out all these different words that are used in, in the Gospels for I, Nazarene, Nazorian, uh, Nazarite. I, I read, actually, the, the paper. Uh, he says that the Nazarene could mean uh, from Nazareth. Uh, Nazorian doesn't, uh, it, it, but it could be a play on words. I think that's the stance that he's taking, um, that it could be a wordplay between uh, some other word, like maybe an Old Testament prophecy that he felt he was referring to, uh, maybe referring to the Nazarite when he's looking at like parallels between Samson and Jesus. But he, like Matthew changed the word, the verbiage from Mark for theological reasons. Right. Um, yeah. Right. But that said, it's Luke and, and Matthew who explicitly say, no, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Mark does not do that with Nazareth. Right. Uh, so, now, are you trying to say, though, that Nazareth didn't exist or Nazareth oh, no, didn't no, no, exist no. during the That's time of Jesus? That's a whole different argument, and, and I, don't, I stay out of that hunt, too. I mean, <laughs> I think at best you could prove that it's, it's you know, it's, it's, there's no smoking gun there. Um, you could spend a lot of time and energy trying to figure out when Nazareth first showed up. But it's just, I yeah, I stay out of that one. So can you maybe help explain like what... What is your understanding, like maybe what Mark, you know, you can't say what Mark meant, but like, what is he referring to when he says Nazarene or Nazorian at that point then? It's a sect title. It's a, it's a, um, it's a title, not a, a, a place name, basically. Okay. All right. So. And I think he's also tying it into prophecies that the Nazar, the, the branch, uh, uh, that Jesus is the branch, um, of David. Yeah, that, there's a, uh. Nazarene. That's another possible route for yeah. Nazorians. So yeah. I think I think for me the critical thing is what Mark said because, like you said, Matthew uses Mark. Ma Matthew is oh, no yeah. matter what you think of John, Matthew right. is one hundred percent based on Mark, right? Sure. And so, well, not one hundred percent, like ninety-eight. Well, okay, ninety and fifty, <laughs> I think. Yeah. 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 Luke, Luke he, and Matthew. He definitely. And that's something to say too. John John doesn't even try to match up with the other Gospels. That's that's something else to keep in mind too. That our our biographies of him are all equally detailed and sometimes those details are complete opposition to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to, did you have anything else to add on the Nazorian or Nazareth thing? Uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, there's just one more thing that there's another meaning of it. I think in Syriac is a keeper of the secrets. And so there's a sort of mystery faith tinge to it as well. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> but yeah, but let's keep going or we, we could go down that rabbit hole for a long time. Right. Yeah, well, I was uh, going to ask you real quick. Um, it seems, and I'll, I'll say this lightly, but it seems like a lot of the, the mythicist position is kind of based on like an argument from silence. Um, whereas like, you know, it's, and I've, it's a lot of, we, we think we should have something if Jesus was existed or there should have been somebody writing about him or we have evidence of other apocalyptic prophets who were written about. So why don't we have anything about Jesus? Do you feel that way, or is there something that kind of points you in the opposite direction where it's not an argument from silence? Or Well, the funny thing about that is in Nailed, I did make, talk about the argument of silence that could be made, and I pointed out that a lot of people say, 
oh, look, here's a list of all these, like Victorians would do this all the time. Here's all these Roman writers, Greek writers, and they don't mention Jesus. And I said, well, do they have any reason to mention Jesus? And most of them don't on this list. But right. I pointed out that there are plenty of names that would make a good argument from silence. Um, but that said, I use that nail. I don't use any arguments from silence in mything in action because there's too much to talk about where our Gospels came from, where our New Testament uh, books came from. Hang on. You need the poll? Hang on a second. Bear with me. There you go. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to make an argument of silence because there's there's much more interesting things that we do have information for. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked that was kind of segue because like I think Jordan and I both kind of land on the fact that Josephus, uh, we think, talks about Jesus, whereas if a lot of mythicists will say that he doesn't talk about so that would be an area like where Jesus is, is actually silent on the Jesus thing, right? I would yeah. expect Josephus to talk about this character, right? And I, right. we, we feel he does, but I have another comment from David Vokin, which is a good sure. segue for this. Uh, he says uh, another point in favor of Jesus' historicity: when Paul visited Jerusalem and saw the disciples, he expressly mentions James, the brother of Jesus, um, and wouldn't that indicate a real Jesus? Because you can't, yeah, myth if you had a brother. So, and again, that's the one thing probably that historians can pin their hat on. And I think it's, that's the closest we get to anything that actually says Jesus had a brother. Um, it's extremely problematic if he was talking about a physical brother. For one thing, he doesn't say Jesus's brother. He says the brother of the Lord. And he talks about other brethren of the Lord later as if they're a sect group. Um, but the, what kills it for me is that just a few verses after he says he met this guy. And we can also talk about the Greek who it might have said... I didn't see any apostles. I only saw James, the brother of the Lord, who's not an apostle by implication. But whatever he was, whatever that's a sectile or, or a brother of the Lord physically, um, just a few verses later, he's talking about all the Jerusalem church leaders, not just James, but uh, Peter and, and those other guys. And um, he's saying, I don't know who these guys are. I don't think they're real Christians, actually. I think they, they're bringing in false believers to steal our liberty. And he opposes them throughout Galatians and repeatedly in his career. Um, he doesn't have anything nice to say to guys. He says, I didn't give him for a second. It's like, it's very strange for him to be talking about people we think of as Je Jesus's friends and family. And he's acting like they're nobodies and, and they're false believers. Um, See, that doesn't actually ring that false to me because um, Paul, as you, as you and other mythicists mentioned uh, all the time, Paul, apparently has visionary experiences of Jesus all the time because he he has like the famous one and that's listed in Acts the Damascus. He's got that tuning fork. He's, but he, he's he talks all the time about how he's getting one his... thing, Paul never tells us about that Damascus incident. No. Paul loves talking about Paul, but he never says anything remotely like that. But Not regardless, even when he's giving his credentials of why you should listen to him. He regardless he of, revealed, of he got revealed through visions, right? Like yeah, regardless of, of what this specific incident was, he talks about getting his uh his message from the Lord, right? He gets it. Well, in ways that I want to just parse out one thing. He talks about getting it from revelation and from scripture, right? Everything he knows about Jesus, he knows through scripture and revelation. That's Which, not quite the same as having personal visions from a yeah. risen Jesus. Well, I'm not saying so. He's getting it from revelation, which could certainly be a visionary experience. And even if Jesus was it mythical, could. people could have visionary experiences of this mythical person. But yeah, it is so. weird that he doesn't, he doesn't, he is saying more about that. In fact, when he talks about visions, he talks about a guy he knows who went to the third heaven, that kind of thing. Um, 
and that's so, close, but he doesn't anyway. Anyway. But if if Paul thinks he's getting yeah. he has some kind of divine connection, whatever its its nature is, then it doesn't seem implausible to me that he wouldn't put much stock in Jesus's brother's words. Because what does he care? Yeah, yeah, you were Jesus's brother, but Jesus is talking to me right now. You know, like yeah, that, but we we don't even see him making those kind of defensive arguments. Um, he doesn't ever address he he doesn't treat them as if they have any more special relationship to Jesus than he does. Um, well, I don't so think he doesn't, even, he doesn't even say, well, yeah, I know that guy's Jesus' brother, but blah, 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 blah. I don't think he, he thought they did. I think, <laughs> I mean. Well, but here's the thing. You're saying, you're saying what we would say, but why, how would, you know, potential converts in the first century, how would they not say, well, this is Jesus' brother. We should listen to him. Well, um, I mean. And he never his... has to defend himself against any charge like that at all, ever. Well, there's a couple things. First of all, Paul's audience was a little bit different than James's audience because James, like you said, was an observant Jew and he was like the Jerusalem sect, right? Who was all about, right. you got to stay Jewish if you want to be a Christian. Right. And Paul was the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, which is, sure. was ended up being way more popular because you don't have to chop a part of your penis off. And that's way more right. popular, you know? So uh, it, it doesn't seem like he'd necessarily have to have this kind of elaborate defense when he's writing to Corinth because they're not the followers of James, you know? Uh, but for me, uh, the, the getting back to the fictive kinship sort of thing, where yeah. Paul does, in fact, use the term brother all the time. Like, for him, sure. Christians sure. are, in some sense, all brothers in Christ, right? Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't use the term brother of the Lord, uh, except when he's talking about James, and then one other time in Corinthians, right? And I'm talking about that time. When he's talking about the, the sect, the brethren of the Lord, who get to bring along sister wives yeah. with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a pretty sweet deal. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, no, I, don't I don't know about that. Though. <laughs> why is Paul complaining about that? He doesn't think he should have wives anyway, but yeah. anyways. Oh, don't um, get me started on that either. Yeah. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, it seems like, first of all, like uh, Godless engineer said something similar about like, why doesn't he call it? Let's say he's the brother of Jesus. Why does he say the brother of the Lord? Right. But for yeah. Paul, Jesus is Lord, They're the same person. And it's kind of like, if I said, yeah. You know, and the brother of Joe Biden. I might say the brother of the president, you know. Sure. And again, it just doesn't ring true for me. But it's like, again, this is probably the best historicity argument that they have. Um, and Which doesn't yeah. speak highly for historicity. I'm just going to point that this out. Is the thing. <laughs> and there's so many other incidents, and not to bring up argument of silence again, but where he does, he fails to mention what Jesus taught right when it would clinch his argument or well, he feels to bring it up when he's disagreeing with Jesus. I think it's important um, to point out there though, that Paul wasn't writing to kind of refute these things. He was writing to a specific people for a specific purpose, you know, so he was writing to churches who were having issues and he would like point out something specific. So his intention may not have been to like say, Hey, Jesus is a real dude. This is how I know. He also yeah. thought the world was going to end like yeah. <laughs> now. Sure. You know? But again, <laughs> but again, and I, I, I and again, it, it's no skin off my back if I'm completely wrong about this and, and it turned out there was a guy, but there's just so many niggly points where it's like, well, why doesn't he mention this? You know, uh, why was he saying that if Jesus already said that um, to the point where it looks like whenever it's not that Paul has a Jesus to echo, he does not echoing a Jesus. Jesus in the gospel is echoing what Paul had to say um, about teachings and, and, so for me, uh, 
my general impression of mythicism just kind of like as a model is it's not that it's like completely insane so i don't think it like you're a madman if you subscribe to it or sure when some and some of them are some of them are pretty so, crazy some of them are i mean like there's well, some loopy I mean, ones out there but you're yeah. gonna have crazies in any sufficiently large group so sure. i don't necessarily hold that against them but yeah. um it, it seems to some extent to be a fragile model because you've got things like the Paul mentioning Galatians and Josephus, which we should probably get into. Uh, and if a lot of these things are like silver bullets, if Paul knew Jesus' brother, Jesus existed. If, J if Josephus knew of James's brother, James, the same guy, then Jesus okay. existed, you know? Maybe we should get into Josephus because like we can put that one to bed because that that's something I feel very uh, comfortable talking about. Right. Like, no. It's let's not. get but let's get you into know, it. I want to mention one thing before we do that is it's not just those things. There's also other evidences that most Christians don't even know about, like the works like the Ascension of Isaiah or things that yeah. are mentioned by early church fathers like Clement, where they say things that's like, okay, how could you possibly say that if you've read the Gospels? How could you possibly say that if Jesus was a real dude? Um, even even the the Docetism debate on whether Jesus was uh, had a real body or just an illusionary uh, phantom body seems to be a straw man for people who said that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, period, didn't come at all. Um, and even when you're talking about the, the letters that Paul writes to his flock, some of those issues are things like, is there resurrection from the dead? It's like, how do you have to convince a Christian that there's something like resurrection from the dead? If they're Christians already, yeah. Yeah. well, I mean, side note, real quick. Anytime somebody mentions docetism, I like to think of Jesus as a Blade Runner. You know, it's like he's out there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so anyway. let's let's get into Josephus because yeah. I think that'll be fun. So for to set the stage for the audience who may not spend their Friday nights digging into New Testament history, uh, Josephus was a Jewish author in the first century. He was uh, a general who fought against the Romans, got captured, did some clever political maneuvering and became good and with Romans. And he wrote books about Jewish history. Uh, yeah. The ones relevant to this are the antiquities of the Jews, which were published like in the nine, about 93 or 93, so. 93, 94. Yeah. 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 So mm -hmm. late first century with, and Jesus, yeah. if he existed, is said to have died somewhere in the thir early thirties, right? Say 33. So about, yeah. Yeah. About 60 it, years. It, in other words, before Josephus was born. Yeah. Josephus so, was yeah. born late 30s. So he's about yeah. five to 10 years after Jesus died. Okay, yeah. so that's Josephus. And there's yeah. two uh, things in Josephus that uh, may mention Jesus. You've got uh, probably the, the probably the more famous of the two is the Testimonium yeah. Flavianum with a very fancy Latin name. And it gushes about Jesus. I could show it to you. Uh, but uh, basically, it's, it, it's talking about Pilate has this very, uh, very Christian sounding thing that he says about Jesus and then goes on and talks about Pilate. And then the second thing is two chapters later in the same book or in the same series or Antiquities 20, 18 was the first one. Antiquities 20, he's talking about the high priests and like the succession of the high priests. And in the context of saying that a high priest kills somebody he doesn't like, it's James. And he says, James, uh, whose brother was Jesus, who was called Christ. Yeah. And the Jews were pissed off and they threw overthrew him. And so that those are the two possible entries. Right. Now, both of these are disputed. One, it, the, the testimony is uh, disputed as being a forgery. In fact, nobody argues it's not a forgery. They've Just moved the goalposts right? to the point where <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, it's only a partial forgery. Right. But let's talk about the second one first, because we can dismiss that right off the bat. All we have to do 
is read the story for starters. And it tells you who this uh, Jesus is. Um, it makes no sense if this story about this high priest uh, political intrigue and the political killing and all the Jews being uproar about it. It makes no sense if that's about a first century Jewish Christian, whether it's Jesus' brother or not. Um, makes no sense at all. If it's about who the story actually says it's about, the brother of the high priest, Jesus, son of Damnius, who it explicitly says, well, then it makes perfect sense that that's just some liner note. The, the, the who was called Christ just got put in um, from some scribe and margin. Because that's so, the only way it makes any sense at all. So uh, I'm just, I'm going to read the portion just so the audience knows the part we're going to talk about, because we're going to get way into the weeds probably. So this is chapter nine, book 20. Uh, in fact, why don't I do this? Why don't I share it so that people in the future can actually see it too? Yeah. Uh, Make sure you hide all your porn tabs first. That we don't see <laughs> yeah, I'm making sure I don't have, I'm like do not doxing myself. <laughs> Great, now my screen is frozen. Uh-oh. Okay, well, I won't read it then. But ah. uh, <laughs> uh, So uh, can you talk more about like why you think it's implausible that uh, the, the, you think it's implausible that the Jews would get up in arms over this killing? Yeah, because this is apparently a time when the, the Christians are outlawed sect. So it makes no sense that they would that he would have anything to do with the high priest any anywhere in the succession of it that Jews would be up in arms about it. Um, it'd be like um, it'd be like Vatican City uproared because somebody mistreated a Hare Krishna or something like that. Um, it just the story just does not make sense in the context that it's given. And again. It says who the story is about. Jesus, son of Damnius. So I disagree on all of those points. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, okay, we're uh, going to love talking about the testimonium then because yeah. this so, is, is open and shut for me. So, well, this one, uh, well, uh, and I know you don't agree with the scholarship, but just so that people understand the context. Hold on. This is not my idea. There are, there are just even scholars who say that. But everything in my books, maybe there's three ideas that came from me. These all come from scholars, so all right, let's not uh, let's, pull that game. Let, let's not be un, let's put it out as it really is, though. That is not the mainstream view or the consensus view of scholars. In fact, that this is an authentic uh, reference to James, the brother of Jesus, is not completely uncontroversial. But there are very few Josephine scholars who take that stance. Like you could probably count them on one hand. the The mainstream view, the consensus view, is that this is an authentic writing of Josephus and it references the person that is said to have referenced. I'll just, I'll just say this, two things about that. When you're talking about consensus on anything in Jesus studies, the majority of Jesus scholars have, have been, and will always be uh, religiously affiliated. Um, but not this isn't, this, not this isn't Jesus scholars though. But what's that? This isn't Jesus scholarship. This is Josephan scholarship, which is a different population. Like they're but, primarily well, Jewish or secular. There are Christians. But what, too, I, what well. I'm getting at is the reason that Christian scholars are so intent on dragging these two disputed bits of Josephus hang on to them, because without them, there is no external collaboration for the Gospels in the entire first century. Well, I mean, we, let's throw them out. Let's just let every Christian scholar let's throw them out. I mean, you still got. And the, I'm not saying the, that either. I'm not saying I, I'm not, that. I, but I'm just I, saying, I, let's, not saying that. Let's let, when you start saying no one agrees with this. Well, no, there are, there's one because that's where well, I got this from. 
not yeah. nobody, but I think it's okay. important as layman. So if we're if we're sure. just skeptics, right? And I'm sure. a layman, I can't read Greek. Uh, if I want to know what happened in history, I go to historians. And right. so uh, I I should as... be reluctant to if if there's a consensus view of historians, I should I should start by if I know nothing else, I should assume that they're right because they're the experts. Until I have a persuasive reason to think they're wrong, right? Exactly. Um, and that's yeah. exactly where we find ourselves. We're we're in a paradigmic gray area, um, and we're exactly we're exactly where Old Testament studies was thirty years ago when the people started saying, "Yeah, it doesn't look like Moses existed. It doesn't look like the Exodus and the conquest existed ever happened." Those okay. things, and it's it's the same arguments we get against mythicism. You hear you heard thirty years ago. Um, you heard 50 years ago against plate tectonics for that matter. Um, but yeah, so go, go for it. Go for it. All right. So it, it's working now. So I'm going to zoom way in if I can find it uh, just so people can have it in front of them. So this is the portion that we're talking about. This is, uh, this is chapter nine, book 20. Uh, when therefore Ananus was of this disposition, he thought he had the proper opportunity. Festus is now dead, and Albinus was but on the road, Albinus being the governor, uh, the Roman governor. So he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus who was called Christ, whose name was James. That's the person that they're talking about. Um, and some others. Then uh, he kills them. And then after he kills them, uh, people complain to Albinus. Um, and Albinus says, yep, they, what they did was wrong. Uh, he threatened that he would bring punishment to him for what he had done, on which account King Agrippa took the high priesthood from him, Ananus, when he had ruled but three months and made Jesus the son of Damnius the high priest. So Bingo. that's the story. Right. Bingo. So I don't think that that means that the Jesus from before was Jesus son of Damnius. And the reason is that uh, son of Ben Damnius is like an appellation. It's like a, a clarification of who this Jesus is, right? Uh, because Jesus was a very common name. And you see this all throughout Josephus where he if he's talking about a person, he says, Jesus, so-and-so, or this guy from that town, or whatever. And then in subsequent mentions, we'll just use their first name, unless someone of the right. same name intrudes. But I want to point out, we do mention, they do mention Damnius <clears throat> before that passage you read. Yeah. So, so it's in, not like Damnius is coming out of the blue. Sure. But uh, yeah. so what's happening is he, before any of this happened, Jesus Ben Damnius has been mentioned, and they talk about him. So right. if if it worked like that, he said earlier they mentioned him as Jesus Ben Damnius. Ben, for those who don't know, means son of Jesus, son of Damnius. And then he talks about Jesus, who is called Christ, and then he says Jesus Ben Damnius. And if that was in fact the way that Josephus wrote it, it would be exactly the way Josephus writes names in general. So why is that implausible? Except for one thing, he wouldn't say Christ because his Roman. Art, his Roman audience wouldn't understand what Christ was or Messiah was or Mashiach was. He would have well, to explain I, that for starters. If if you assume that the Flaviana, <laughs> um, yeah. well, I mean, yeah. that, the same rule applies for that as well. Yeah, he, he well, doesn't he doesn't do that in either. But uh, I think it, even if it was like so, if Jesus if Jesus Christ in this instance isn't that important, this thing like the main part is Ben Damnius, right? So right, he's a different Jesus who's like, oh, this is. James, you know, Jesus, and just to differentiate, this Jesus is not the same as this Jesus, the one they call Christ, and then he just keeps going on because he's not that important to the story. And if the Flavianum has any sort of historical kernel to it at all, he's already 
if it does. So basically, yeah, yeah, if it does, big yeah. Well, it, that big means if. that the the two it's conditional probability. So in order right. for that model to work, for that objection to work, it is contingent on the probability that testimony of Faviano cool. is also. But total Jordan, let me ask you this, because you said you disagree with everything I said about this second passage, the James passage, and I'm not sure where your exact disagreements are showing up. So, okay, so the, I disagreed that um, that it tells you who this Jesus was, that it was Jesus Ben Damnius, because it doesn't, the way that the story is written, it doesn't, you, you'd have to have a two-step interpolation for it to get there. So you'd have to have... Wait, what do you mean? Because okay, so, what do you mean that, that we don't have in the story is what I'm saying. I'm sorry, say that again. You're saying we'd need a two-step interpolation. Why would right. we need a two-step interpolation? I don't understand. Okay. So the way we currently have it is Jesus Ben Damnius, Jesus who is called Christ, Jesus Ben Damnius. Yeah. Those are the three mentions there, right? Right. Um, and in order for this to, for that middle one, the one who is Jesus was called Christ, to be Jesus Ben Damnius, the way that... Uh, uh, he would normally, he being Josephus, would have normally written this, would have said, Jesus Ben Damnius, and then later say he made Jesus the high priest. That would be the normal thing. He doesn't typically right. repeat appellations, right? And so what would need to have happened is for there to have been the appellation where instead of who was called Christ, it said Ben Damnius or whatever way he was going to identify this person. A scribe well, and again, that. We're arguing that's a liner note. We're not arguing that he said something else and they changed that. Well, that's just an addition. I then think makes, Jordan's argument, though, is that the second Ben Damnius wouldn't be necessary at that point because he's already established that he's Jesus Ben Damnius, right? So it wouldn't make sense for him to come back to it if he's already done that. Is that right, Jordan? Like, yeah, it would be out of character for yeah. the way that Josephus tends to write, um, that he would repeat an appellation when he just told you. If he, had, if he had, in fact, just identified this guy as Jesus Ben Damnius, then it would be odd for, of in the context of Josephus writing, to say Jesus Ben Damnius again just a few sentences later. Well, it's a little longer than that, but still, I mean, that's that's kind of inconclusive, in my opinion. Um, whereas the context of this story, if if we're talking about two different people and the middle part is Jesus's brother James, though in in the actual Greek it's Jacob there, um, if that is supposed to be James, why is he involved in the high priest? all this school degree at all. Why are the Jews rallying against him to protest his uh, persecution when the Jews are the ones who are persecuting the Christians at this time? So that makes no sense to me. I think that, uh, first of all, it assumes that the Jews would have a uniformly negative opinion of every Christian well, no, everywhere it's just, probably time. It's saying the Jew, I'm not saying all the Jews, I'm just saying, but just read the story. Why would there be Jews appealing to uh, to uh, the well, governor be because on behalf he, of this this guy who they would be the ones who would be persecuting at this time. Because he unlawfully killed gospel. him, right? That's like, the, that's the assertion is that he like extrajudicially, like, and as an abuse of power, killed this person, right? But they, it wasn't extrajudicial because that's what the Jews were doing to the Christians if we believe the gospel story then. Well, the, the well, <laughs> I don't believe that the, the Jews were going around executing Christians because that generally the Romans were the ones who did all the executing. I'm sure they beat them up and like persecuted them as uh, Paul mentions, but uh, I don't think that necessarily they were going around killing, putting Christians to death left and right. Uh, in fact, I think the whole narrative of Christian persecution is overblown in the first century. Well, and I agree with you there. I agree with you there. But it's just, these are all the things that make the story context important. Um, well, but if you imagine <clears throat> that this guy is, overreaches his power in some sense and kills a Jew, right? Uh, that 
even if he's a Jew that other people don't like, there are neighbors that I have that I don't particularly like. But if the cops came and shot him in the face, I'd be pretty upset. You know, <laughs> like I don't think you need to to I don't think I don't think you need to invent other explanations except exactly what it says that uh, this. The funny thing about that is that's exactly how I feel when I talk about this. You don't have to, you don't have to explain why why James, son of, uh, brother of Jesus would be in there if it's about James, son of Damnius. Right, but that's Uh, not. And the whole thing about, well, it's it's uncommon for him to use Appalachian. Well, maybe it is, but it's not unthinkable. And it makes more sense. And it makes more sense than than thinking that uh, this could be about uh, a Christian church leader. Um, I, I just think like if you're going to assert an interpolation, which is or of some sort, like a scribal note, scribal insertion, which is something yeah. that happens, so it's not crazy. But sure. if you're going to assert that it happened, then the onus would be on you to demonstrate it. And I just don't think we need I don't think we need to go there. Well, um, and I think this is where we can agree to disagree, because it it's, makes more sense to me not in a Christian context. And it, and that's it's fine. At the end of the day, we don't have to convince each other. Um, that's, Uh, I would rather point out where we disagree than just beat our heads into a pulp, trying, no, no. Cage fight. Uh, Especially (laughs) especially when we can go to the testimony of Flavianum and they have lots more to beat up against that. Man, this, this guy, David of Oakland is just like on point with his segues every single time. So he's saying, uh, he asked if me and Jared, uh, think if the Josephus passage was an interpolation or do they think Josephus said something about Jesus in a less grandiose manner? So, we're talking about the testimony of Flavian yeah. here. So now, yeah. because yeah, it's going to get that. confusing if you're not familiar with Josephus, this was yeah. Antiquities 20, different book later on. Now we're going to go back to Antiquities 18 yeah. uh, when the testimony of Flavian. So why don't you uh, take it from there, David, and talk about it? Okay, so the testimonium is this one little passage in the Antiquities of the Jews it comes out of nowhere, doesn't relate to anything else in the chapter, is suspiciously small, and yet it's this glowing commercial for Jesus that no one thinks is original to Josephus. No one thinks that's not a forgery, a later Christian forgery. But what has happened is, as the debate has gone on, they're saying, well, no, it was only a partial forgery that uh, Josephus must have written something about Christians, and if we tease it out, we can see what he really wrote about them. Um, and that's so problematic on so many levels. Um, not least of which is that this is completely unknown by anybody else in Christendom for 300 years after Josephus wrote his book. And then jo- uh, blah, 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 blah. Eusebius of uh, Caesarea is the only person, for the one and only person to know about it, apparently. He uh, publishes it repeatedly, and no one else seems to know about it for another 200 years till, I think, Jerome. So we've got 500 years where only one guy knows about this passage. And what's especially suspicious about that, not just that he's the guy who also gave us all this bullshit about Constantine and the the and known lies about, uh, pious lies about Christian, <coughs> Christendom, but his copy of Josephus's book came down to him through church fathers like Origen. Origen is one of the uh, church fathers who complains that Josephus should have mentioned Jesus and never does. And he well, cites, and he and seventeen other that we know of church fathers we have writings of cite Josephus because they love Josephus and they cite him for things like John the Baptist. And uh, <coughs> excuse me. 
Jared, um, can you correct me if I'm wrong, but I doesn't Origin complain that not that he didn't mention Jesus, but that doesn't believe in Jesus. Like he didn't, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. Well, he, right, that's yeah. why he, that's what he blamed his lack of mention on. Yeah, exactly. And Origin, just so you all know, uh, one of the probably one of my favorite church fathers, ended up being labeled a heretic. But uh, um, funny how that he, happens. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> weird. Um, uh, well, we're all so, heretics now. So. <laughs> well, kind of as a, as an aside. I love hearing about early Christian heresies because I cannot tell you how many of them I was taught as a Christian. <laughs> you know, like yes. I, I guarantee a good chunk of Christians today would be heretics if uh, if their views were examined. I mean, honestly, all of us would have been burned at the stake 500 oh, years for ago. Sure, exactly, for sure, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think even Christians today would be burned at the stake. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I think, so for the testimony of Flavian, one thing we can say, and I think we can all agree on is that the testimonium as we have it today has some level of forgery there. Um, right. For sure. Can say that, for and, sure. And again, and that's so, not a controversial say at all. So every, exactly. Knows. Not controversial. Even yeah. most, uh, most Josephus scholars will say that. Um, in Vir fact, I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know of any Josephus scholars who think it's, the, I can't. Think outside of, any, but, of like your conservative evangelical right. signs. Of, well, uh, I wouldn't consider them Josephus scholars. So. Them scholars <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Right. Uh, outside of them, Virtually nobody says right. that it's it's and just here here it is. So people who haven't read it about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought call him a man. So it's starting right off. For right. he was one who performed surprising deeds. He was a teacher of such people that accepted the truth gladly. He was the Christ. Now he was called Christ, as it says later. He was the Christ, right. and it goes on. I won't read the whole thing. You can look yeah. it up. But I mean, so clearly there's no way that a Jew would write this right. for sure. And the, like, another suspicious thing about it has nothing to do with the the paragraph before it or the paragraph after it the paragraph right after that well before it is talking about this this horrible uh <coughs> massacre in in jerusalem under Pilate, and the next line after the the, the testimonium says and at this time there was another sad calamity and it's like sad calamity no we just had a commercial for jesus what do you mean sad calamity it's only shoehorned in this tiny little snippet um which was probably small because that's probably the only space they had on the scroll to put it into, uh, which I, is why it's not any longer than it is. Yeah, but, I would say yeah. my opinion on that is like, I don't need the testimony of Flaviano. I I, mm. I think it you could take it out. It doesn't need it. Like I would consent that it's there's nothing there. <laughs> it's well, you know what? It's what's ironic about the the testimonium is even Bart Ehrman, who believes yes, there was a Jesus, he says, you know what? Even if every single word of this was true. It doesn't say anything except what Christians were preaching in the, the late first century at best. And uh, it's, he doesn't think it adds anything one way or the other to the, the, to the argument. And so, yet without um, these two disputed passages in, in Josephus, that's all we have to corroborate the gospels outside of Christian writings. So the stance, I, I kind of go with, uh, I have to, I can't read Greek. So I have to accept right. the word of those who can. Um, the the scholars who purport who support partial authenticity, and I should say just so that I'm absolutely clear, while that the partial authenticity is probably a majority, how much partial is partial is hotly contested. Some yeah. people think you can't get anything out of it. Some people think you can just slice out the non-Christian bits, and so like yeah. this is definitely not settled at all in the scholarship. Right. So I want to make that abundantly clear. Yeah. Um, they don't seem to find the the abrupt nature as 
it, it seems abrupt to me. If I'm just like reading it, it looks jarring to me. Yeah. I have to take their word for it when they tell me that's not out of character for Josephus. I don't know. I can't read the Greek. Um, but I'm I'm with you that this is not something I would rely super hard on because yeah. it certainly has been messed with. Eusebius is not the most reliable of historians to begin with. Um, for sure. And so, yeah. So while I'm content to go with scholarship generally because I don't, I mean, that's just kind of how and, I roll. And I am too, but it's nice to know when there's a hard consensus and when there's not Absolutely. much of a consensus. I, yeah. it is, I think it's vital just as, as skeptics to understand where the scholarship lands and to understand yeah. the difference between this is divided and a hotly contested issue, or this is a consensus yeah. opinion. Like that is extremely important because like yeah. any, any individual scholar can be, have crazy views, right? Yeah. You can have extremely well-educated nut jobs. Yeah. So, but that's why you need like the, the, the large population yeah. to kind of hopefully all that averages out. Yeah. Well, one thing I was going to say, um, if we're getting close to an hour here and I wanted to make sure we were respectful of, of David, your time, but, um, Jordan and I are all about, and the name of our podcast is Reason to Doubt. And so the, the biggest thing we're about is skepticism, promoting skepticism, uh, having reasons for the things that you believe. And I think we can both say that David on the mythicist side and Jordan and I on the historicist side, we both uh, have given this quite a bit of thought. We both examined the evidence and we're just we're conveyed, you know, one way or the other, right? So it's not like we're going into this blindly. We've yeah. we've done the skeptical task of examining the evidence, and while we may not be convinced of the other one's side, we've at least done the hard work, right? I think yeah. maybe we could eventually convince you and come over back to, back to the dark <laughs> side. But uh, um. well, you know what I love the 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 only reason this argument even has any value at all is because everything we learn in the back and forth helps us know how firm our knowledge of of what Jesus was and said and did, or if he existed at all. Um, and it helps us realize this is not very well established. This is very established over here. This is not very well established. It helps us pinpoint just how mushy our actual understanding is. Um, Philip Davis, who also believed there was probably a Jesus, um, had a great chiding for Bart Ehrman when he wrote, did Jesus exist? And he said, Surely the fragile uh, read of Jesus' historicity could be weighed. And in any other field of history, it wouldn't even be controversial to say this. And yet, if we look too hard at Jesus, somehow that's considered a no-no. Um, but so, again, everything we learn between our two sides helps us debunk people on the Christian side. Because whether you're right or I'm right or somewhere in the middle, it debunks, <laughs> it debunks their Jesus completely. Yeah. I'd, en I'd encourage uh, anyone who's curious about this to don't read a single source. Like, don't just run to Carrier or Fitzgerald. Not that you shouldn't read their books. Totally Definitely go read, read their, their books. books. I've yep. read them. Yeah. Uh, and then also read the other side so you can yeah. get a balanced view. And like yeah. the question we should always, you should always be skeptical of a source that's telling you what you want to hear, right? Like if, if sure. you're if you're running into a source and it's telling you exactly what you think is true, you should your flag should go up, and immediately you yeah. should wonder why other people aren't convinced. Uh, so if that's all that we convince people to do, then I think that's a success. Uh, so let's see. Uh, well, nobody. Okay. Well, yeah. some Christian is very confident that we won't have debunked the. Uh, the <laughs> it's fine. In fact, I think we, we might do uh, do some episodes on that this winter. I don't know. We'll see. Looking coming up for us, we've got uh, we're going to be debunking the Shroud of Turin because. 
for some reason that is like the most popular video we've ever done in the ever and so like uh but we we were just basically making fun of a video we weren't debunking it at all because we didn't think it was like worth the effort but apparently it is so we're gonna do that oh my goodness uh so that's what we've got coming up uh what do you have going on where can people find you uh it's probably easiest to find me on facebook or at uh, davidfitzgerald.org and right now um i was working on a book on sex and violence in the bible and then I ran into the work of Russell Gamerkin, who has his work on the Old Testament has blown my mind completely out of the water. What I thought the timeline for the, the creation of the Old Testament was so much so that uh, the book I'm working on now is on the evolution of world religions and monotheism and how it doesn't have to be true, but it still it seems to be true um, when you look at the founding figures of all the major religions. All of them have a dodgy backstory. So it's like, it's not just Jesus. Um, it seems like all of them, there's some reason, serious reason to doubt that they may have existed at all. And it may be normal, maybe the norm for religious founder figures to be completely imaginary creations. Well, if you want to see like legendary accretion in real time, people should look up uh, Howie Selassie and the Rastafarians. Like this guy sure. was existed and told his followers i am not a god <laughs> and, and they're like he's nope, a god wrong. <laughs> <laughs> only a real god would deny his divinity yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, totally. yeah. all right well thanks a lot for coming on this is awesome uh absolutely anytime yeah. yeah hopefully we can have you on again uh and until then remember we've always got reason to doubt peace out